This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 271. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. This episode, I have with me co-hosting Matthew Marister from Columbus, Ohio. What's going on, guys? Hey, so today, folks, welcome uh, to this uh, 271st episode of the podcast. Uh, this, is a, this is our weekly news episode of the podcast. We've got a whole bunch of great stories to cover for you today. And uh, in fact, just to highlight a couple of them, we're going to talk about uh, this case in Seattle that's been kind of going viral the last few days where a man stopped another man who was stabbing a woman. And uh, the, the way he went about it is kind of interesting. There's lots of really good lessons to be learned from that. And one reason why I think it's been going viral is because we have we had actually cell phone video of the incident. And that's not something we get of a lot of these cases. So having video is awesome. So we'll talk about that one. We're talking about a man fighting back with a broom against an active shooter in a <laughs> yoga studio. No place is safe now. No place. <laughs> And we're talking about some uh, legislative stuffs, some legislative stuffs, stuffs. <laughs> That's a good word. We're talking oh. about some legislative stuff and updates and uh, a bunch of other great stuff. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by a high. <laughs> Let me back that up. This episode is made possible because many of you are going to want to attend and participate in what we call our highly defensible property live Q&A with Andrew Branca, Monday, November 12th at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Okay? So this is part of our complete home defense course launch. We've been teasing this uh, video course, and it's actually going to be a three-DVD set that you can also purchase if you'd like. Um, That is not yet quite available. We will be officially launching that here in a couple of days. And part of this launch, we have two things we want you to participate in. Uh, so, you, you know, no, no obligation. Uh, you don't have to buy anything. Every, everything that I'm going to tell you right now is free. But uh, if you choose to buy that complete home defense course, I'm sure you won't be disappointed. But what we have coming up next Monday evening, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, at this is Monday, November the, the 12th, is a live Q&A with Andrew Branca. And this is about the subject of highly defensible property. So this will be kind of a home defense type uh, course or, or webinar, but we'll be looking specifically at various highly defensible properties, as Andrew would call it. So use of force in and around a home, attached garages, detached garages, vehicles, all sorts of things. Anything that's considered highly defensible property, uh, which generally is is a home or perhaps a business or, like I said, a vehicle, uh, we know you've got questions, and Andrew probably has some answers. And Jacob and I will be just along for the ride. So you can get signed up for that webinar and that live Q&A session with us. That is concealedcarry.com forward slash HD, as in home defense. Concealedcarry.com forward slash HD legal webinar. All right? So we hope to see you there. That'll be a good time. And then yeah, we also... Oh, I, want, I just want to make sure if you're listening that you understand it's not state specific. I know a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to listen because it's not applicable in my state. But um, it's it's not it, a lot of this stuff is universal across uh, across the country. And Andrew Branken knows. I mean, he, 
he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this area. So he's not going to just give out generalities. And if you ask state specific stuff, I'm sure he'll be able to probably off the top of his head, answer your state specific questions. But there's a lot of stuff that's common across the country. So don't just tune in or not tune in because you think it's not going to be applicable to, you know, the People's Republic of California or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah, we got somebody watching too today from uh, the People's Republic of Illinois. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, no, uh, Andrew is very knowledgeable. In fact, he has created a bunch of state specific uh, DVDs that you can get to learn about various uh, use of force law uh, in in your specific state. And so he's definitely he's definitely one of the, I think the I think he is the foremost expert, uh, single individual expert on this sort of thing because he actually takes the time to research all these different state laws, detail them out, and put them into written and audio and video form. So it'll be a good webinar. Also, the I told you there's two things I want you to participate in. Also, join with us this Friday for a special Facebook Live broadcasted podcast episode. Jacob and myself will be doing this home defense Q&A, all right? So we would actually encourage listeners, uh, go ahead and submit to us any questions you have about home defense via our email address, podcast at concealedcarry.com. And that'd be the best thing to do. We'll get you kind of on the docket as far as those various questions and things that come in about home defense via the email. Uh, But you can also just show up and we'll get to as many questions as we can in the Facebook comments. Uh, But there's no guarantee we'll be able to get to everything. But we'll certainly try to get to all of the emails that come in. So podcast at concealedcarry.com. Submit your questions for the live Facebook live home defense Q&A podcast episode. This, that, that's going to be aired. We'll be live Friday, this coming Friday, the 9th at 2 p.m. Mountain time. Okay. So that'd be 4 p.m. on the East Coast and uh, 3 p.m. or 1, excuse me, 1 p.m. on the West Coast. So, all right. We hope to see you one or both of those events coming up here in the next week. It'll be a good time. All right. So let's, uh, start moving along here with uh, today's episode. And of course, as has become customary, speaking of Mr. Andrew Branca, he does this segment for us uh, very generously. He doesn't charge us for anything for this uh, or really expect a whole lot from us about it. He just uh, is excited to uh, share his knowledge about these topics via what he calls the case of the week. And so this one is about using your gun to defend your car and Andrew's got some really good thoughts about that. So let's cue that up. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This story comes out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and involves a man who fired shots at his receding automobile as was being driven away by a car thief. That man, the car owner, has now been hit with felony charges and, ironically enough, finds himself locked up in the same jail as the car thief. These facts, as reported by local NBC news station WRCB-TV, a link to which can be found in the text version of this blog. As usual, there was a cascade of poor decision-making that led to this suboptimal outcome for the car owner. First, the car owner decided to leave his car running as he entered a convenience store slash gas station. I mean, seriously, folks. Second, the unoccupied running vehicle was observed by an apparent drug addict who decided 
That was as open an offer to quote-unquote borrow a car as was likely to come along. The apparent junkie jumped into the car and started driving away. Third, the car owner, seeing his car drive off without him, ran out into the parking lot, which was crowded with other customers and folks gassing up their own vehicles, and decided this would be a good opportunity to make use of that gun he was carrying on his person. So it was that on 6 p.m. on a pleasant Sunday afternoon, two rounds were fired by the car owner at his own car as it drove off into the evening. What was he hoping to accomplish is hard to know, really. Head shoot to car thief? Brush the brain matter off the dashboard and drive on home? What he actually managed to do was put one round through the windshield of his own car, another round flying off somewhere of uncertain destination, but of course it wasn't a miss, right? It certainly ended up hitting something, and getting himself in hot water with the law. As the news article linked notes, quote, Chattanooga Police Department investigators determined that the gas station parking lot was full of customers when the vehicle was stolen, and the car owner fired shots. They came to the conclusion that the car owner was not in imminent danger and unnecessarily used deadly force to stop an auto theft. The car owner faces charges of aggravated assault and reckless endangerment, close quote. Folks, aggravated assault with a firearm by itself can easily carry a sentence of a decade in prison and sometimes a multiple of that. The 35-year-old female car thief apparently didn't make it very far before being found by police with drugs on her person and a sharp item concealed in her mouth with which she tried to affect her escape from custody. She was arrested on various drug resisting and obstruction charges. Both car owner and thief were booked into the Hamilton County Jail, presumably in different cells. Folks, only non-deadly force may be used in defense of least defensible personal property. The only exception is found in Texas. And a car not occupied by an innocent party who's under threat of harm will always be deemed to be least defensible personal property. Do not use your gun to defend least defensible personal property. Unless you're in Texas, perhaps, and even then I strongly discourage the practice. It's easy to fail to meet any one of the many loopholes that even the Texas allowance requires you to jump through in order for deadly force in defense of property to be lawful in the Lone Star State. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. I also encourage you to visit our Law Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. There you have it. <laughs> Using a gun to prevent the theft of vehicle, rarely a good idea. We've got kind of a similar story coming up here uh, as one of our featured stories of today's episode. Um, apologies to those viewing on Facebook. The audio, or the video is just not really playing very well, but the audio was uh, working just fine. So anyway, um, 
Yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Matthew, before we press on? No, I mean, we, we could, I don't want to beat the dead horse, but you know, it, it you got it, deadly forces used in the last resort. There's no, he didn't use it in any close to the last resort here and, and is, is negligent. It was irresponsible. It placed people in harm's way. And, and, and it's just, we don't want these people out there doing these kinds of things. I mean, we have to, we have to use our brains, people. We have to. And, and I, I'm, I know I'm not talking to the listeners because they, they do or they wouldn't probably be here listening. Um, it's, it, it's those out there that we don't get the podcast. We don't touch them with the podcast or our, our, our content. So help these people. If you know a concealed carrier that just has no clue on the law of self-defense or anything like that, help them out because it's, it's, it's important. Yep. Cool, man. Good stuff. So, uh, let's get now into our first story. This one comes to us out of Oklahoma where an Oklahoma mayor was arrested in connection to a home burglary. What in the world's going on here, Matthew? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce Is it Achille? Achille sure. Achille, Oklahoma. It, sure. It's kind of like Achilles Hill, but it doesn't yeah. have an S on the end. Right. So I'll so, go with Achille. Uh, the <laughs> Oklahoma mayor is behind bars, right? So, uh, authorities in Calera say that it started when a homeowner, homeowner, homeowner awoke to find two men inside his home. Immediately, the homeowner says he grabbed his shotgun and held him at gunpoint until police arrived. Um, turns out one of the guys is the 41-year-old David Northcutt, the mayor of the city, and his 19-year-old buddy, I don't know, um, Joshua Doty. Doty. Um, and so... Yeah, they uh, surprisingly find methamphetamine on them and uh, they're arrested for burglary and uh, lucky that they weren't shot and killed, probably. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the homeowner grabbed a shotgun and he has yeah. intruders in his home. Uh, I don't know Oklahoma law super well, but I'm assuming that had he pulled the trigger, he probably would have been justified as far as, I mean... You know, in most states, you have an intruder in a home. Uh, there are some nuances here from state to state, but, you know, most states, you're quite often uh, justified in, in shooting a home intruder. Not that that's something that we automatically want to get into the habit of doing, but, uh, yeah, anyway. So, this is the mayor of a town out there uh, with methamphetamine and syringes on him, and he's breaking into people's homes and stealing stuff. This is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> with, with a young man in tow. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, boy, if this story right here isn't enough to encourage us to be wise and who whom we elect <laughs> to represent us, uh, I don't know what it, what it is, but chances are people didn't know this was, you know, the type of person he was when he was elected. But uh, that's pretty crazy. Like 41-year-old mayor of a city or a town doing stuff like this. Drugs will affect anybody, any ethnic, any, you know, anything, their ethnicity, their status in life, their job. It doesn't matter if drugs are, drugs will destroy your life. So, yeah, you know. Full show. You know, it kind of reminds me of, uh, oh, who was that mayor in like Toronto? Ford? What was his first name? You know who I'm talking about? He was like the mayor of the city of Toronto, I think. He was pretty controversial and it was pretty well known that he, I mean, he was caught on video like doing cocaine and stuff. And, uh, 
like he wouldn't resign and, and stuff for the longest time. So it was quite a quite an interesting time for folks up there. You remember Marion Barry? Oh yeah. He was, yeah. Twi- I think he got elected even after he got caught smoking Crazy. crack, right? I think. Yeah, I don't know. He was in jail, he got out, and then he was elected again or something. I could be wrong, yeah. but I'm pretty sure. Yep. All right. So, hey, here's a law being proposed in New York. Uh, uh, is this in the state? I think it's actually more of a city thing, mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> which is interesting, right? Uh, well, not, not necessarily surprising, but this is an interesting bill. I never imagined something like this being proposed. Uh, never even really crossed my mind. But here is, here is the law. Two New, York, two New York lawmakers are working to draft a bill that would propose a social media check before a gun purchase. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams and State Senator Kevin Palmer's proposal, actually maybe this is a state law they're proposing, would allow authorities to review three years of social media history and one year of internet search history of any person seeking to purchase a firearm. How, how do they go about that exactly, Matthew? I'm, I'm curious. How, like, do I have to, like, hand over my laptop and hard drives and stuff or what? Uh-huh. I don't know. They'd have to register you somehow, right? Like to make sure that you're giving the right information so they can check it. I mean, it's like, okay, so Facebook can probably with the right, you know, uh, and actually I don't know exactly all the tools available to law enforcement. I do know that they have some tools available to search social media. Um, But uh, the thing that really gets me here is how how are they going to review one year of internet search history for somebody seeking to purchase a firearm? That that's a little crazy to me. Okay, so going on here, uh, Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President, he says this: a three-year review of social media profiles would give an easy profile of a person who is not suitable to hold and possess a firearm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What what are they going to cons- what are they going to consider as not being suitable? Right? You know, exactly. like I, I could see some introduction here. You know, of personal biases or political biases. Um, I'd like to think they'd have some really clear rules about, well, you know, if we find somebody posting that I'm going to blow up the school tomorrow, or I'm going to go shoot up this other place, or, or I'm loading up my guns and mags and I'm coming after such, such person like, okay, I can kind of see that, but this is really insane. And then, uh, it says here that, uh, it, it does go on to explain that the two are hoping to identify any hate speech on social media profiles, which are often revealed only after someone is arrested in a mass shooting. And then if the police department is reviewing a gang assault, a robbery, some type of shooting, they go and do a social media profile investigation, right? That's pretty pretty common. Like that's, that's a pretty standard practice. But there, this is like something that's proactive. Like you haven't even committed a crime yet necessarily. Uh, but just because you are wanting to buy a gun you now give them enough of a reasonable suspicion, I guess, you know, like they, they, they this is crazy to me. Like there's, I, I get that some things on social, social media are public, right. And, and I even have control over a lot of that. Uh, I probably post way too much stuff that's publicly available as opposed to being only viewable by friends or whatever. But uh, like, I, I see that aspect of it, but how again do we search computer search history? This is, yeah. wow. I mean, just logistically, there's issues. Uh, ethically, there's issues. Um, it just doesn't make sense. In, in, in you know, what, what I don't understand in, in the whole premise, the whole premise is, is flawed. If you, if you read and it says 
the police department is reviewing a gang assault robbery, some type of shooting. They go and do a social media profile investigation and find out um, uh, that these these threats are often revealed only after someone is arrested in a mass shooting. That's not true. Unless these people have zero followers, these posts were made and people saw them. Now, whether or not those people chose to turn them in or take it seriously or the police took it, take it seriously when they are like in uh, the one shooting in in Florida, that's a different story. But these people don't operate in a vacuum where nobody sees it. And only afterwards, these things pop up. People see them. Their family sees them. Their friends see them. They either turn their back or they reported to law enforcement and law enforcement did nothing about it. So the, the whole premise of which yeah. this is based upon is, is flawed from the beginning. So I was uh, just thinking about the Parkland shooter, right? And how many, he had a couple of people reporting him to the mm-hmm. authorities. The one guy that was like in Texas or Arkansas someplace and reported him to the FBI, right? And uh, yeah, anyway, so this is, boy, I mean, you want to talk about slippery slope. This is, this is slippery slippery slope type stuff right here. A couple banana peels, right? <clears throat> Big time. Slippery. <laughs> you know, it, it, it just, to me, this type of law, I, I don't think this would get through. But then again, this is in New York. Who knows? But, mm. you know, this type of law is demonizing decent law-abiding citizens. Like you are basically profiled. In fact, that word was used right here in this article, in the statement from one of the sponsors of this law, you are profiled as <laughs> as someone that wants to purchase and own a gun. And, and it certainly, it certainly uh, feels somewhat of like a big brother is watching you all the time type thing, which I don't know, maybe some people want to live in that type of society, but I don't think that that's, you know, the, in the DNA of what Americans want. I don't think they want the government spying or, or going back and looking at every single thing you do on the computer and, and, and that uh, it's just not, not to exercise a, 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 a you know, a constitutional right. I, I mean, I know when I, I don't know if they still do it or, or, you know, I know when I, when I um, was going through background checks with the police department, you have to give them your social media logins and things and they go through it. But that's a, that's something different, you know. I'm seeking employment, and I'm giving my my you know permission for my employer to go through that. But this is this is uh, this is bad. <laughs> yep, for sure. Moving on to Georgia, we talked about this last week, so I don't I don't want to necessarily spend a lot of time on this. But this is Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. Uh, <laughs> that emphasis is for Jacob, as we were talking about. <laughs> the word gubernatorial last week. Uh, So we already talked about her, right? We know that she's extreme, extreme, you know, on this issue, especially that uh, she is anti-gun. Although she says in one sense, I'm not anti-gun, but then turns right around and talks about not just, not just prohibiting new purchases of, of guns of particularly AR-15 style or assault weapon style guns, but actually, the bill that she sponsored last year said this, notwithstanding any other provision of the law, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation shall, shall seize and take possession of any assault weapon, large capacity magazine, as provided for under code section, blah, blah, blah. Any such assault weapon, large capacity magazine taken by the Bureau shall be destroyed and a record of such destruction shall be maintained by such Bureau. 
So it's not just, hey, let's stop the transfer and sale of, of these classes of guns or large capacity magazines. Uh, let's not have any sort of grandfather opportunity or clause or anything like that. Let's just outlaw them outright, require people to turn them in. And if they don't, we'll just come and seize and confiscate them and destroy them. Like she, and that bill did not go anywhere, but she sponsored a bill that had language like that. So that gives you a sense of where her mindset's at. So now the, the, the big thing here, I already told you, we're not, I don't want to spend a whole other, I don't even spend another minute talking about Stacey Abrams. Like I don't, you know, we already talked about her. What I want to talk about right now is that tomorrow is election day. All right. So mobilize people, go out and vote. Can't, there's not, it's not just her. Okay, that's that's the thing. Like I've seen so much attention focused on this one candidate in Georgia. And I know some of you, Tris, and a few others of you are are down in that area. Like I feel for you, but she is not the only person we need to be concerned about here. So everybody else, look carefully at your ballots, look carefully at the candidates, do your research, know what issues they're about. And particularly on the issue of the second minute, I mean, I will say that even though I don't like the idea of being a one-issue voter. I kind of am on the Second Amendment. Actually, I pretty much am because I just will not vote for somebody that does not support the Second Amendment. I just won't. And, and if it comes down to two candidates that uh, both are against the Second Amendment, which I've not really encountered that yet, not, not that I'm aware of, uh, but although I'm sure that's happened in various places, then I may not. I may just skip over that line. You know, like I just can't vote for somebody that does not value the Second Amendment. So, anyway, this is your reminder. Tomorrow is Election Day. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't have early voting, or you haven't had a ballot that you are able to, you know, vote on and then mail in uh, or whatever, like then go to the polling stations tomorrow and cast your votes because uh, we can't have uh, the Second Amendment p- p- placed in greater jeopardy. All right. Okay. Next up, NRA-supported case could soon be taken up by the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, So this is an interesting one, right? So this is the case, speaking of New York, specifically the city of New York, we've talked about New York a few times. In fact, we have an instructor in our instructor network out there, uh, Lance. He's an instructor there in New York and in New York City, in Manhattan, in fact. And he's, in fact, I've had lunch with him and he's, told me some really interesting stories about the laws as they pertain to guns and gun ownership and possession and shooting and permits and all this stuff in the city of New York. It's pretty dang bad. Like New York City is really, really, really bad. New York State has some 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 rough laws as well, but the city itself is really bad. And I realize that's just one city. But New York, unfortunately, becomes a model for many other cities. Other cities like Chicago and L.A. and San Francisco, and then you start to expand that out. Houston, you know, and Miami, like, yeah, you might not think that's coming to a, a town or a city near you anytime soon, but New York becomes a model for a lot of other cities. They go, hey, what's New York doing? Hey, New York's crime rate's doing really, you know, it's going down. Hey, their violent crime rate, crime rate's really low, you know, per capita. So what are they doing? Well, you have anti-gun mayors, city council people, um, governors, whatever, and they start seeing stuff like that and they think, hey, this this is something we got to do in our city too, right? So what we know about New York City is to own a handgun, you have to get a permit. And what this article from the NRA ILA 
says here. And of course, links for all the articles we share in the podcast are always in the show notes. And today's episode show notes available at concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 271. But you get a permit for a handgun in New York City. And the way this goes is, is you go and apply for the permit first, right? And that comes with a whole slew of things you got to do process wise you got to go through to get that permit once you have the permit it allows you to purchase one gun okay and then one handgun in particular and then so then you go to a shop you say i want that one handgun and they're going to want to see paperwork and then there's other paperwork that's processed and then you're able to purchase that one handgun and part of that whole process they inspect your home your the way you you know, your, your safe basically that you have at home, you got to have some sort of safe. It's got to meet certain conditions and criteria, uh, you know, for you to be able to take that gun home and store it in the home. Okay. Now what this case is about is that the law there, as it pertains to these handguns and the permits associated with those handguns for the city of New York, you cannot take that handgun outside of the city in fact, that permit specifically is for you to have the gun in your own home. Mm-hmm. And you can only take it out of the home to go to one of seven indoor shooting ranges in the city. And you got to follow certain provisions to do that. And that's the only time you can take it outside of the walls of your home is to take it to one of those ranges and shoot at one of those ranges and then take it back home. Right? So you... This is that's what this case is about. That's what we're hoping the Supreme Court will take up is that they rule this, and I think they should, absolutely unconditionally unconstitutional, because that's that's insane. Like, what? Why? Why would the city of New York, Matthew, have any issue at all? Like, like why are they concerned about me taking this gun outside the city? Exactly. Right? Like, it, no one outside the city even gives a crap that I have that gun. Well, maybe New Jersey does, but. <laughs> Well, if you're going hunting, Jeez. right? I mean, you, you you pack up, you take your gun and you go out. You're not going to hunt in New York City. So you're going to take your gun and go someplace where you can hunt, right? Uh, and so you can't do that. You can't even take it to go hunting. You can't take it to go, you know, let's say you're a competition shooter and you want to go to a different state. You can't do it. And, and but, but the problem is, is like, I understand... The law itself is stupid, right? It's 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 dumb. But how do you enforce it? Like, who who are who is going to who is going to say like are you, you get stopped and and now uh, you know they find a, a legally owned firearm in a case that's locked up and you're on your way to the you know the airport to go fly out to go to a competition shoot in California or some other state and they say hey where are you going? Well, I'm going to the airport. What's that in your case? Oh, it's a legally owned locked up registered firearm well you're going to jail because you can't leave that you can't take that out of your house and you're not going to range i mean it's just it's ridiculous honestly it's ridiculous there's enough laws if you want to stop somebody if you if your premise is that this law will stop will be able to give police the reason to arrest people with illegally possessed firearms and this and that there's already laws that do that you don't need this law this law will only punish responsible people that 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 you don't want to punish so it's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, um, I don't know. It really is. I mean, I, well, we have to place it in the same category as that other law we just talked about, where they're considering being able to search three years of social media history and one year of internet search history before you can buy a gun. And as I said, because it said that it, it, this is what's funny about some of these articles we come across. And granted, I probably should have done a little more research, but the article never actually says that this was a city or a state 
you know, law that they're proposing, but there is a state senator that's backing it. So that's why I'm like, well, that makes me think that maybe it's a state law. I don't know. Maybe it's only applicable to city. Who knows? But either way, we've got a place in that same category. It's freaking insane, right? Like, but like I said, that's why we have to be concerned about this stuff. That's why we're breaking, making you aware that this sort of thing is going on there. Yes, we see all these comments. A lot of you commenting, you know, this is madness. It's insanity, you know. It's New York City, uh, you know, of course, you know. But we have to understand that that ideas come out of things like this for other lawmakers and politicians. And they go, hmm, that's really interesting. And it has nothing to do with public safety. Not a not a bit, not a bit. <laughs> and if people, if if politicians are willing to say this openly, you know, and not not f- not be in fear of any backlash, right? To say like, oh, that's that's a little extreme, right? If they're if they're willing to say this, then what are they willing to do behind the scenes that you know um, that doesn't come to the light of the day? That's that bill that's added into another bill like underneath that you don't even see and all of a sudden you're like what 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 was passed <laughs> right right i mean this is pretty extreme which big means time. whatever's going on behind the scenes has got to be more extreme big time no yep for sure now so um uh, let's now shift gears let's talk about this uh case uh from the atf now we talked about it last week jacob and i did now, this was the case where uh a man was prosecuted for what they called having a short-barreled rifle. And, uh, you know, what it was is actually an AR pistol that they were trying to say he, you know, was actually a short-barreled rifle that he had manufactured. Now, there was a couple of things at issue here. They were looking at his brace, which, uh, so you can kind of, I'm sharing my screen for those that are viewing live with us. Uh, but those of you that are listening to the podcast only, you can just go and look at the article that's in the show notes and you'll be able to see all the same images. So now number one, I got to say, I, I don't know what this gun is. <laughs> it is so tricked out with some things that just don't even make any sense <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> I mean, okay. So at, at issue was the brace. Okay. And uh, it, this really is not a. I, I, in reading the case, it seemed like they were talking about a stock. This is not really much of a stock. It's just a, a bar. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I guess you could put that against your shoulder, just like you could put any of the pistol tubes. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be ideal, but could you do it? Sure. But what was at issue with this particular one is that this man added a rubber cap to the end of this brace. And that extended the length just enough that they it that exceeded what is basically the the standard for allowable pistol braces, which is like sixteen and a half inches, I think. And so with that little rubber cap thing, it it made that brace now like sixteen point seven five inches. It's like quarter inch is a big difference maker, right? Um, now the reason why he added this cap supposedly is so that it it would stand up appropriately inside his safe. So he, he put that, I guess it wouldn't stand up in the safe. So he put this little rubber, it's, it's like the bottom of a cane, you know, those mm-hmm. of you that are familiar with that or, or Walker, right? That's what this basic, that's what this rubber thing basically is that he put on the end of his brace. Now, a couple things at issue here and the defense pointed this out in the case. Number one, the ATF was measuring at a diagonal from the trigger to the end of that brace to establish the length of pull, which was not in accordance with 
what the regulation actually says. It's it's actually quite clear. In fact, it's detailed in this that length of pole is determined measuring from, uh, let's see, where's the language here? The distance is measured from the trigger to the rearmost point on the stock along a line that's parallel to the axis of the barrel. Mm-hmm. So they, and you see images here, they actually pull the tape diagonally from the trigger to the end of the brace. That was not, oh, and I said, I said 16, I kept, I meant 13 and a half inches, not 16 and a half. So that was not the right way, the right procedure to measure this. You see there it measured a 13.75. But if you actually measured from the trigger straight back parallel with the axis of the barrel, it would actually still be within the allowable 13 and a half inches length of pole. Okay. So that was an issue. The other thing is they were concerned, you know, the, the other thing of issue was that they were trying to say this, uh, there's this kind of angled grip. It's like, a, and actually in the case I read last week, I thought I actually talked about a Magpul angled foregrip. This is not a Magpul one. I don't know what brand that one is, but that's basically what it is, an angled foregrip, which has been ruled on by the ATF as being acceptable on an AR pistol. But anyway, this dude has this, this angled foregrip thing. He has a light. It looks like he has a laser. He has a, a variable power optic. He's got a uh, sling. Yeah, I don't know. If you look at this thing online, it's pretty. It's a. It's kind of a comical build. <laughs> There's yeah. some, some things here that are definitely not practical. <laughs> but uh, anyway, hey, cool. Whatever floats your boat, buddy. Either way, now, by the way, he got in trouble. How did they even discover this? I was a little unclear on that reading last week's case. That's why we're talking about now is we're giving you all these updates so that you have the context of what we were talking about last week because apparently we didn't have the full story last week. And the reason he got caught was he had a, I think it was a domestic uh, issue. I'm trying to yep. f- find that. Yeah, they were, Go ahead. they were called out. They were called out in a domestic call, uh, domestic violence. He threw a, a phone, cell phone at his his girlfriend and so they arrested him and pursuant to that arrest they seize all the uh, firearms that that person owns because it's a domestic violence arrest and lo and behold they seize a firearm that they find to say oh my gosh this thing is uh is of an illegal length and uh the atf goes yeah let's measure it this way sure <laughs> it's illegal and uh dude is like in jail for a misdemeanor or you know, domestic violence case. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, you're getting charged with a felony for modifying or, uh, your, your firearm and having illegal SBR. Yeah. Short barrel rifle. You'd be like, what are you kidding me? Like for a cane, a a little rubber cane tip. Like, I think the whole argument we're missing the whole purpose of the argument. Like what, like what did that, the little cane tip do to the firearm to make it any more deadly less deadly what did it do it did nothing it literally added a half an inch of rubber that does absolutely nothing to increase the performance or anything make it more scary no it doesn't do anything it just it just lets it sit up in a in a in a gun in a safe like we're looking at it and trying to like parse like okay it's 13.5 or 13.75 but like honestly i know there has to be a limit but honestly did not anybody look at this and be like dude this is not a permanent attached thing this is like stuck on like it's not like he's welding a, a new brace or something. It's it's a rubber cap, dude. Like serious. No <laughs> well, one said. And, and there's a good point here in the article about this that uh, 
while the ATF was not following their standard for how to you know correctly measure that length of pole, uh, it shouldn't have been even an issue in the first place. But the defense did argue that the man had no reasonable way of knowing about this 13 and a half inch length of pole limit, and that there's actually a Supreme Court precedent in Staples versus United States that found a gun owner has to know that his firearm has characteristics that bring it under NFA regulation to be guilty of a crime. And so, you know, not that that should be any sort of excuse, I think, for us as gun owners. Like, we all should be as responsible as we can. Like, we should try to understand the laws to the best of our ability. But, uh, you know, there is that precedent in place. And this guy, and I think that's totally reasonable to, to even assume that he probably had no idea that, oh, hey, sticking this little, you know, uh, no-slip cane you know, cap on my uh, end of my brace would suddenly make it a quarter inch longer than it's supposed to be. And that would, you know, violate some law. Here's, here's a couple, here's the big lessons I think that I take away from this. All right. This is more than the actual issues at hand here that are specific to this case, but, but what can each of us take from this? Number one, I would advise if you have an AR pistol, okay. Of any sort, uh, where you're kind of in this, and yes, AR pistols are somewhat in a gray area of the law. They really are. Yes, they're allowed, but you're 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 kind of flirting with you're playing with fire a little bit there, right? That if you make one little slip up, like I, I've definitely known people that didn't know that you couldn't put a vertical foregrip on the rail of their AR pistol. That is a, an accessory that's specifically not allowed because it's not allowed on a pistol. You have to, it has to be a handgun or a pistol has to be classified as an SBR to be able to put a vertical foregrip on, on it, right? Or a stock. Those are the two things. And so don't, uh, so, so don't, so you're playing in this gray area, right? You're playing with fire a little bit because you, you make one little slip up and you can be in major violation of federal law. So build your AR pistol with appropriate approved parts. And leave it, right? Don't go about like modifying, especially the brace. That's something I've thought about a couple of times. I'm like, man, I wish I could just like do this one little thing to this brace and it would make it better. But like put a cane, like a non-slip cane tip on it. It wasn't that that I had in mind, but <laughs> it really had to do with stable, you know, like making the brace itself a little bit more stable or stiffer, yeah. you know? And that was actually with a different, like, I'm very happy with the SBA three brace that I have on my air pistol now. I think it's really, really a nice brace. Uh, it was a different one that I had. I'm like, well, if I did this, then it would make that a little bit more stable. And then I'm like, wait, I don't think I should be messing with that because this device is approved as it currently stands. And as soon as I start making modifications or tweaking it, uh, even if it's not necessarily meant to be, you know, a nefarious, you know, modification, uh, it, yeah, that's 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 a good reason to get in trouble or a good way of getting in trouble. And the second thing to learn from this is don't go throwing your cell phones at your wives and stuff or doing, you know, just guys be and gals be be good to your spouses and partners. Just be good to them. All right. Nothing good comes from domestic violence disputes, and especially when the feds or the authorities get a hold of your guns. <laughs> so, all right. Got to move on. And Ann Arundel uh, County. This is uh, basically Baltimore-type area of Maryland, okay? Ann Arundel police say officers fatally shot armed man while serving protective order to remove guns. This is quite the case, and I actually did quite a bit of specific research to this one, Matthew, earlier today because I had to know some of these details. All right. So, folks, let me let me give you some backstory to this. 
earlier this year in April, a law was passed in the state of Maryland that uh, one of these extreme risk protection order laws. Okay, so that was passed in April of this year. Okay, the law went into effect on October 1st. Since that, so basically a month ago, the law actually went into effect. So as of a month ago, you could officially start filing extreme risk protection orders against somebody. Now, who can you file? Who who can file these? A spouse, a cohabitant, a relative by blood, marriage or adoption, a person with children in common, a dating or intimate partner, a current or former legal guardian, a law enforcement officer, or a medical professional that has examined the respondent. Just about everybody in your life that you know. Okay, that's who can file them. Once filed, guns can be by order of a judge. There can be a, an a immediate hearing before a judge that issues a temporary extreme risk protection order and immediately your guns can be removed. And you may not actually get a hearing yourself for at least seven days and possibly longer. All right. And then it can take some time once a hearing is held to get your guns back. Now, this law went to effect about a month ago, and in one month, in Anne Arundel County alone, 19 of these extreme risk protection orders have been filed in one month in one county. Statewide, 114 of these ERPOs have been filed. So what happened last week uh, was, actually, no, excuse me, this was just Monday morning. This is just a couple, uh, yeah, this, this morning, geez, that's right. <laughs> it's Monday still. This story is new today, all right? A man was served with an extreme risk protection order uh, by uh, by the account of one of his family members that lived in the home, uh, a niece. She said that one of her aunts is the one that filed this ERPO against him. Police, we know, visited the home last night. So I don't know if this ERPO stemmed from that issue that occurred last night. And overnight, they got you know an emergency ruling by a judge or what, or if the, or if the ERPO was filed days ago or weeks ago, but what we know, and it sounds to me like something, something happened last night. They had some sort of domestic issue at that home last night. And this morning at like five something AM police showed up at this man's home to serve him with his ERPO and confiscate his guns. All right. He did not want them to do that. He had a gun with him or near the door as they met him at the door and served him with that order, uh, they told him to surrender himself and to, that they were gonna, that they were there to take away his guns. And he then grabbed his gun, and a, a struggle ensued between him and two officers. That his gun was fired, and because of that, uh, an officer fired at him and killed him. All right. So we've talked about the concern with these extremist protection orders. Now, I understand the intent behind them and the desire to try to stop things like the Parkland shooting and other things from happening. And I think that's a I think that's a an honorable intention. I really do. Right? But I have expressed my concern about the lack, the potential lack of due process. And that also I think a lot of times rest- uh, restraining orders of any kind, and this is basically another class of restraining order, are rarely effective anyway. So you, we create a situation where a, a person feels like their rights are being violated, potentially surrendering of their Second Amendment rights, and 
here within a month of the uh, this law going into effect, we have a man that refused to go quietly, and now he's dead. Hmm. All right, now he probably made some poor choices, right? So that's on him to an extent. But this is the sort of thing that you know I'm like I, I have some concerns about these types of laws, and this is just sort of playing into that a little bit. So Matthew, take it away, buddy. Yeah, I, I mean, I had when I read this when, when I first saw it pop up. Rarely do I get things right. I'm I'm not a very smart guy. Um, rarely do I do I you know get things right. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little credit on this one and say I, I wrote an article covering these red flag restraining orders, explaining the concern as far as a former law enforcement officer and having to deal with these types of things and seize firearms and the and the problems that develop and, and looking at well what happens when restraining orders, domestic violence restraining orders are served. And oftentimes it takes the situation that, yes, this person is a violent person, they're filing a restraining order. But when the when the restraining order is served, they now feel an additional affront has been made against them. And like you said, they feel now that their, their rights are being taken away. And it's a situation that might not have necessarily developed into a violent situation does because you're coming to a point where now there's an apex something has to happen either they give up their weapons or they don't it has to happen and so the problem is is that it places law enforcement in in a very precarious position so if you look at the the, if you look at the girl's statement her uncle or her niece's the niece's statement she says um she said her uncle likes to speak his mind, but did but described him as harmless. I'm just dumbfounded right now. She said, my uncle wouldn't hurt anybody. Okay. So if you look at that and then you say, then if this is the case and this is true, then why was this restri- why was this person being stripped of their fire the rights to own a firearm? It, it, it you know, so everybody's gonna have a different point of view on if somebody's a threat or not. And what ends up happening is and I said this was going to happen with, with with things like this happening. And I also said a situation like this, like you you said it, hit it right on the head. Probably what happened was last night there was an issue. They were on the fence as to should we get a red, should we um, pursue a red flag restraining order or a gun restraining order, right? And so they're mulling this over. Then finally, they kind of say, you know what, let's just err on the side of caution. We don't want to be the guy that says, no, you don't need it. And then he comes and shoots up the family. So let's just err on the side of caution. Good judge says, yeah, we'll err on the side of caution. There's an ex parte order. This guy doesn't get to say his piece. Chances are this girl, his niece doesn't say her piece because if she said that, the judge would have to say, well, okay, I don't think he's a threat, so we're not going to take his guns. But they don't well, hear it. They hear specific never information. Never mind that they probably won't even call in the niece. Exactly. They pick and hearing. choose what they want to, to, to you, present. You have a he says, she says, or she says, he says issue where an aunt, she doesn't say whichever aunt's, it could have been the wife of the man for all we know, but uh, somebody, a family member, filed this protective order against him. Mm-hmm. And, so, uh, and, and I would say that if that happened last night and they showed up this morning to remove the guns, then that had to have been an emergency hearing before a judge, just like emergency, you know, search warrants would be handled. That had to have been an emergency hearing to get that, that processed. Yeah, and there's it, no way you're going to have 
the people that are involved in the situation, you're going to get one side per, you know, of the story told. Now, I, I don't doubt, by the way, Matthew, that these cops felt like there was some sort of issue. Oh, like, I, I, you know, the fact that they went right. I mean, like if they're there Sunday night and they're there at five something a.m. Monday morning to, to do this, they must have felt, you know, that there was a there was a good reason here. But, you know, we do have to take all these things into account. And that's what due process is about is is we got to let the, the system play itself out and we've got to hear you know, there's got to be a, a discovery process. There's got to be, you know, testimony by by witnesses and others involved. There's, there's got to be a whole process here. And that's my big concern is that we start taking away Second Amendment rights, which is a, I mean, this is the Second Amendment we're talking about. That's even before due process in the, in, in the Constitution. That's before a lot of things. And we just, hey, you know what? We're going to take those away just temporarily. It's okay. You'll get them back in a week or two or three. Or six months. Right. right. And it, you know, it so. turns somebody that might not be violent into somebody that's saying, hey, dude, wait, like, right. wait a sec. And I'm not saying what he did was correct. I'm not, I, I wasn't there. And I don't, you know, I'm not impugning the, the character of these, these police officers because right. hopefully, you know, they're acting out of good faith. But I know for a fact, if I was sitting in the car and, and, I'm sitting there and I'm on the fence of like this, this woman's like, should I get a red flag? We're sharing order. I'm asking your opinion as a police officer. What would you do? I'm going to be like, look, dude, I'm not going to be the cop that sits here and has to answer for something bad happening. So I'm going to err on the side of caution. Every single cop is going to make that call because they're going to say, look, man, I'm just a patrol cop. I'm not going to, I'm going to be hung into dry. The same thing with the, with the, the lieutenant, the the sergeant that's on duty, the the judge, nobody's going to want to be that person that that denies or says no, you don't really need it. So everyone's going to f- extreme shift to the to the side of caution, and then you end up having somebody who you, my uncle wouldn't hurt anybody. He's maybe he speaks his mind. Maybe the guy was a little like ornery or uh, aggressive. I don't know. But does that mean that that it it means that he should? lose the possession of his firearms when he wasn't using them to threaten somebody. I don't know. And it just, it, it, what I'm saying is it comes to an apex and the cops are there and now they have to act. And this guy's saying, I'm not going to give you my firearm. He grabs it. And now what are they going to do? Yeah. You know, in reading this story now, Grant, we're trying to probably really read between the lines on this one, but I don't read it as he took, he grabbed the gun to try to shoot the cops. I read no. it as no, don't take this away from me sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and a struggle ensued and it goes off and it goes then- off. Right. Okay, we got to move on. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of great comments too from uh, followers on Facebook here. Thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate you uh, for sharing your thoughts as well. This this is this is why it's a big issue for me. Like I like I said, I I think it's a an honorable intention to try to find ways where we can preempt. It, this is for legitimate issues, right? Where we have somebody that's legitimately crazy, insane, uh, off the rails, violent. Uh, has intentions of carrying out violence, whatever it is, like legitimate issues like that. Yeah, I'd love to find a way that we can counter those and and preemptively even, you know, to to prevent something like Parkland from happening. There was a lot of warning signs with that kid there, right? There was a lot of opportunities potentially to to stop that in advance. Uh, I that it's an honorable thing to want to do, but we got to figure out a way to do it without violating rights and uh, that there is a good process, a, a, that there is due process maintained and in place as part of that, okay? I don't know what all the answers are. I've got some ideas, 
and I've voiced I've voiced some of those, but uh, this is this is why I'm I'm pretty wary of these sorts of things uh, because of situations like how this one's played out. All right, moving on to the Associated Press, APNews.com reports. Man says he wrestled with gunman during yoga studio shooting. Matthew, give us the details on this. Yeah, this is a pretty cool one. So basically what ends up happening is uh, this guy's in a uh, yoga studio. Um, guy comes in and he starts to shoot uh, shoot some of the people in the yoga studio. This guy is not armed. Um, he notices that the guy, I think he, he, the, the gunman either had a malfunction or he was changing magazines or something reloading. And uh, he, he notices that and he says, I'm going to take some sort of action to stop what's going on. So he picks up a broom, he attacks the guy. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I don't know. Initially, I was like, man, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty hairy situation to be in, right? Like you make your decision, um, but you got you to gotta commend the guy because, you know, he, he takes, he, he's cognizant enough to know, like, if I don't intervene and this guy reloads or clears his malfunction, he's going to shoot more people. And this is my only opportunity and I'm going to do whatever I can. I pick up a broomstick. Um, you know, it'd probably be tough for him to carry in yoga pants if he's wearing yoga pants to begin with. But, uh, but yeah, good thing he, he, you know, they had a something there and he improvised and tried it in to stop what this guy was doing. And no doubt he saved people's lives. I mean, um, you know, so I, I think it was, it was a pretty interesting story because it's kind of a justified save without a, without even a firearm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this is an active shooting, shoot, active shooter event, right? Yeah. Like, it, like we just got done publishing that, that uh, report recently about active shooter events in the U S since 2000. And uh, if we were still compiling that data, which I think we're going I, to, I don't know, I, th- I think we're going to try to do that, try to keep track of these sorts of things. This would definitely be one that fits in that category. You have a dude that shows up, public place. We don't know the motive. As far as we know, he didn't know anybody there. He just starts shooting people at a yoga studio, right? And unfortunately, this is one of those events that, as far as we know, did not have a CCW were present or somebody there with a gun that was able and willing to use that gun in defense. So you got a dude that uh, he did everything he could. Fortunately for those present, the gunman's gun jammed. Jammed. That's a super technical term. Some of you take offense at that. He had a malfunction and this gentleman had, you know, had enough, um, what's the word? Wherewithal. I guess he had enough sense of mind to recognize, mm, dude has a problem with gun. Maybe now I should step in. And that's what he does. And uh, that's that's all he probably could do at the time. And it, and it fortunately worked out. He was able to uh, attack the man, start hitting him. He was able to grab a broom and start hitting him with that. In the course of this uh, altercation between the active shooter and the good Samaritan fella, uh, Joshua Quick, he... You know, he also got hit like in the face or something because it said he had some wounds to his face as well. So this is obviously a pretty violent uh, face-to-face encounter as he's trying to fight with this active shooter. And in the end, the active shooter apparently is able to fix his malfunction. And he just takes his life, right? We see that happen many times. Uh, these mass shooters are cowards. They are uh, 
they're, they're, that's the best way to put it. They are cowards. Most, many of them are. And uh, as soon as they are met with resistance, whether that's law enforcement or an armed citizen or an unarmed citizen that has the balls and the guts or, and or the right opportunity to jump in there and counter them, then uh, a lot of times they'll end their life, right? So kudos to Mr. Joshua Quick. I mean, this is such a scary event. I mean, yes, two people did lose their lives. Six others were wounded. Uh, but it could have potentially been worse had he not had that, that presence of mind to to step in and take it, take control of the situation. No doubt. And, and Byron says uh, decisive action, totally right on point. Like sometimes a poor decision or a not ideal uh, decision is better than a perfect decision later down the road. Sometimes you have to make a decisive situation and it's choosing between, you know, a, a crappy situation Response A, crappy situation response B, you choose one of them and you go with it rather than waiting for the perfect response later. It, it never comes because, you know, he gets his gun back up and kills you. So yeah. decisive is awesome description. Yeah. Uh, Jesse says, broom mightier than the gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, good stuff. All right. So crazy story there. We're glad it resolved the way it did. It could have been worse, but also still, uh, it's unfortunate that uh, folks did, you know, there were some that lost their lives anyway. Now we have a story about what not to do. Shots fired at mugging suspect at Kroger in Clinton. This is in South Carolina, I believe. Uh, or no, excuse me, Mississippi. Yeah. I was thinking a different story apparently somewhere. So Mississippi, uh, Clinton area. Kroger store, and we've had a couple of stories in recent months that have happened at Kroger's and at, and or at Walmart's. <laughs> uh, so, Kroger store. There's a man. It was assaulting an elderly woman. Uh, a man. Another man saw this taking place. He attempted to put a stop to that, but the it, it's, apparently maybe it was a robbing or a robbery. So the man that was assaulting the elderly woman, he took her purse. He then jumped into a getaway car and started leaving. And the man with the, the, the CCW or basically the guy, the good Samaritan with a gun, he pulls out his gun. But apparently by that point, the robber is already making his getaway in the vehicle. So the good guy here with the gun does fire a shot at the vehicle as he flees. So yeah, you might I'm gonna be say able to guess why this is a what not to do. Story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he's a former concealed carrier because I'm pretty sure he's going to lose whatever license they gave him. Yeah, um, that that could be. Uh, that's definitely a, a, a strong possibility for him. So, you know, it's also going to be at the discretion of local law enforcement and or prosecutors. But uh, why is this an issue? It's an issue because, you know what? We use deadly force to stop threats. And in this case, this guy was trying to use the gun to prevent an escape or to stop a bad guy from getting away. Right? So uh, that's, that's not what we carry that gun for, folks. And I know that most of you get that. And we're probably preaching to the choir somewhat. But this is a great reminder, right? And I, I think this sort of thing happens. I don't think people wake up in the morning and go, yeah, you know, if I come across a robbery today, I'm going to shoot at the getaway vehicle. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think it's someone that responds in the moment um, and, you know, just reacts as opposed to, you know, thinks about what they're doing and or has a really solid mindset 
you know, a solid game plan in place. I mean, obviously you can't plan for these sorts of things perfectly in advance, but a lot of it has to do with mindset. Like I know, okay, that if I've got a situation like this where somebody is making the getaway in the vehicle, unless they're still shooting at me from that vehicle and or they're trying to run over my child or something, I'm not shooting at that car, right? Once they've made the getaway, they're, they're gone, all right? I'm only concerned about the threat that is a threat right here at me or my loved one or this neighbor person right now, right here. As soon as they leave the scene or they're out of here, I, I, I'm, I'm no longer concerned with them. Okay. Now we have another interesting story that kind of takes a similar, you know, thread here as far as, you know, you have somebody that maybe is trying to make an escape and we'll cover that in a moment. All right. But, uh, generally let's not do this sort of thing, especially shooting at, if your focus is shooting at the vehicle, shooting at them, trying to stop them from getting away. And we've seen this happen before. We had a lady, we covered this probably like two years ago on the podcast that tried to stop a robbery in a Walmart parking lot by shooting at the tires of the getaway car. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. All right. CBS Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh.cbslocal.com has a story here. Burglary, burglary suspect shot. Killed by homeowner in Mount Oliver. And uh, this is in Allegheny County. And it said here that the suspect is dead after an attempted home invasion in Mount Oliver. Uh, apparently, this individual tried to in- make an intrusion into the home just after 5 a.m. this last Thursday morning. The intruder had a weapon, according to detectives, similar to an assault rifle. And they think he entered through a second story window. Not probably typical. The homeowner who was taken away from police qu- for, for police questioning said he believed the intruder had a weapon and shot him with his personal handgun. Now, it sounds like the police are corroborating that because they're saying the intruder had a weapon similar to assault rifle. Uh, and I'm quoting them, right? Assault rifle, <laughs> air quotes. Um, so no charges have been filed. The intruder was identified as a 33-year-old man. Uh, the homeowner was the one that called 911, was very cooperative with, with investigators. The victim was, or excuse me, the, the burglar was pronounced dead at the scene. So pretty, you know, open and shut case as far as I'm concerned. You have a dude that broke into a house with a quote-unquote assault, right, assault weapon or assault rifle, and he was shot dead. And rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Matthew, Not much I can add. <laughs> tell us about the uh, this next story. Three children inside Cleveland home when gunfire broke out, killing one person. This is kind of close to home for you. This is in Ohio, and you're out there. So tell us about this one. Yeah, so um, police are investigating after three children witnessed a deadly shooting inside a Cleveland home Tuesday night. Officials said two people were shot inside a home at 3800 block of East 78th Street. Not a great place if you're not from Cleveland, but um, police learned to, uh, two people entered the house with weapons drawn uh, through an unlocked rear door and entered through the kitchen, firing several shots. One of the occupants inside the home fired back with a 40 caliber handgun, hitting a 25-year-old man who was later identified as a suspect uh, by police. Police confirmed the children were also inside the home at the time of the shooting were not injured uh, neighbors upstairs said they heard a bunch of commotion downstairs and shots fired one of the bullets penetrated the downstairs ceiling entered the living room and if you're not familiar with these types of homes they're like duplex uh, where somebody goes on the bottom floor and somebody goes on the upstairs floor and there's two different homes um, and uh, so this is w- what this home is like um, 25 mar- man uh, or 25 year old man su- suffered multiple gunshot wounds was pronounced dead at the scene uh, he tried to flee fell over the railing 
thing uh, bled out on the on the driveway. Um, second person fled the scene. They're still looking for him. Um, a 37-year-old woman suffered a gunshot wound to her stomach. Uh, her condition is unknown. So, um, yeah, it, 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 what, what I think what shows me, you know, it, it, or what stood out to me um, outside of like, you know, you got to be prepared, have the gun with you, on you, uh, accessible very, very quickly is that um, you have to be, and it kind of segues into un- unintentionally your video that you're going to shoot with, you know, rounds going through drywall and things. You got to be aware of where those rounds are going because, um, you know, round goes through the ceiling. And I don't know if it was a suspect you fired or, or the person, you know, the, the homeowner, but you got to be aware of where your rounds are going because those rounds are going to go somewhere. And it, luckily it didn't strike anybody in the upstairs, upstairs home, but it, it absolutely could have. So that's what kind of what stood out to me because we cover mm-hmm. these all the time and uh, outside of the normal stuff, that's kind of what, what stood out to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely picked up on that uh, note there about one of the bullets penetrating upstairs and uh, that could be you know scary. Now we don't know whether that was one of the homeowners' rounds or a round from the bad guy, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you know. And here we know that we've got three children in the home. Unfortunately, none of them were injured, according mm-hmm. to the story. But apparently, someone else in the home was injured, and and that it seems based on how this is written that that was likely a result of one of the bad guys hurting one of the occupants, perhaps with with their gun. But uh, you know, you're exactly right. We got to be. Thinking about and as as much as possible, aware of where in the home my loved ones are, my children are, uh, and just understand. I mean, yeah, I'm going to go film and and try to f- see what bullets will do through drywall, especially if it's placed at somewhat of an angle. Uh, but the the reality is, like, we can almost never can like the purpose of that is not to really show that, well, if you do this or if you shoot this thing or that thing, that it's going to mean that the bullet doesn't penetrate through these walls in, you know, in a home defense uh, context, that that's not really the point. I would never count on, you know, a round that you fire that you miss the intended target with. And that that's really the number one concern. If I'm not as concerned about me hitting my bad guy and the round over penetrating through him and then continue to pose a threat. Like, right. yes, it could, but that is not as likely an issue, especially with modern self-defense hollow point rounds, especially out of, you know, uh, like, like a nine millimeter that over penetrates through somebody is probably not going to, it could still maybe hurt somebody else. Could it still be lethal? I suppose that's theoretically possible, but, it's not something that we, I, I can't actually think of a documented case in recent history where around, particularly a, from a handgun, has overpenetrated through a, a person's body and wounded somebody else severely beyond them. I'm sure it's happened, but it's not something that happens that frequently. That bullet's going to lose a lot of energy going through a person's body. All right? Unless you pass through their arm or their leg or something, uh, that that may, might be a different situation, but if we're shooting and hitting center mass, we shouldn't have issues. So our number one issue is not hitting what we're trying to hit. And I'll just say that pretty much anything is going to go through enough walls to put your family in jeopardy if you're not aware of where they are and you're not trying to and you're trying and you're not doing a good enough job of avoiding them and you're not doing a good enough job of hitting your threat. All right. 
So, final story here, and uh, save the best for last. This is quite a story. All right. So this is this is the story that happened in Seattle, Washington. Uh, Q13fox.com is the the source here. The title is Armed Bystander Backs Down DV, Domestic Violence, Stabbing Suspect at Seattle Center. Seattle Center is, and and they also call it the the Armory, which is kind of like a a square. It's a food court area in the Seattle Center. Just, Just picture big, you know, place where lots of people are. Lots of shops, lots of restaurants, right? So there's a lot, and you'll see there's video, cell phone video, video you can go review for yourself. There's a lot of people in the area, okay? What happens here is an armed man, he's armed with a knife. Uh, he has an issue with his the mother of his four-year-old child. By the way, the four-year-old child was a witness to the crime, and I just, it just makes, that, that sort of thought makes me shudder. So he... Um, Apparently tracked down, uh, I'm assuming it's an ex-wife or ex-girlfriend. It's it's the mother of his child, as is, as is described. He stabs her multiple times. And according to another report I saw somewhere else, he was also trying to like cut her neck, cut her head off sort of thing. You know, pretty, pretty bad, gruesome stuff. <clears throat> good man. A, a good man. Yes. Scott Brown. Uh, he works at one of the food stands in the area there, but he was actually not working that day. It was his day off, but he decided for whatever reason to go there on his day off. He was carrying concealed. He does have a permit to do so. He he saw or heard the incident occurring. He saw a girl lying on the ground. It says laying on someone's lap, people rushing over. And he said, my focus was going outside. He, he, made, uh, I, he made contact with the uh, suspect. And he says here, I saw the knife in his right hand, so I ran after him. I kept getting him to try and put down the knife. We kept walking backwards and backwards and backwards. So he sees the woman who has been stabbed multiple times, sees blood, sees her being tended to, then looks. Uh, he does a good job, I think, in this regard. He, he, said, he actually mentioned that his next thought was, okay, I see there's a problem. Where did this problem come from? Where is the threat? He identifies the threat. He draws out his gun. And he goes after the guy and he's telling the guy the whole time you can see in the video, you know, get down, drop the weapon, get down, you know, over and over and over again. And meanwhile, the guy with the knife is telling him, shoot me, shoot me, go ahead, end my life. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. I just killed the woman that I, that I, that I loved, it says. And, uh, so I've got nothing left to live for. Shoot me. And he's walking towards Mr. Brown, the good guy. And refusing to give himself up and refusing to drop the weapon. Meanwhile, Mr. Brown just keeps backpedaling, backpedaling, backpedaling. Now, fortunately, some uh, security officers and or law enforcement arrive on the scene. Uh, somebody steps in. It looked like maybe an off-duty cop or a security person of some sort. Pepper sprays the man. Got really close, by the way, doing that in the process. And then law enforcement are able to subdue the man and take him into custody. Terrible event. but And by the way, the woman did die. So the CCW or stepping in was not unfortunately able to save her life, but did he potentially save other people from becoming victims that day? Uh, that's possible. Um, sometimes in these types of incidents, uh, the man will kill the wife or girlfriend and also kill a child. Mm-hmm. Right. And so maybe that would have been the next step. I don't know. So I, I'm, I'm happy and I'm proud that this man was there and drew his gun and did what he did. 
But let's now break it down, Matthew. And we, by the way, I think we should do a, a more in-depth uh, episode on this event because I think it's a really good one to do. But just give us kind of in a nutshell what you see from from this story and and maybe just some quick lessons learned. Yeah, really quickly. And like you said, we could get really down in the weeds because this is a really good video and it, it, it explains a lot. But I, I, I want to separate the moral component of um, being extremely, um, what's the word I want to use, um, hesitant to pull the trigger or um, and the tactical side of it. So sometimes we're not you know, we should be hesitant to pull the trigger ethically and morally because we really don't want to take anybody's life. Um, and, and legally at the same time, we, we want it to be as a last resort. But then tactically, when you when you enter into the tactical portion of it, you have to weigh it because at a certain point, you begin to continue to tell this person, hey, stop, drop the knife, stop, stop, stop. And as it continues to go, you're actually increasing the likelihood of some sort of bad thing happening. Right. And so in, in this case, obviously it stopped uh, and it ended in a good, in a good way. Right. But well, I mean, the woman died, but I'm talking about taking the guy into custody. He wasn't shot and killed, but um, oftentimes the more you give this person, like when, when they want to want to, to die by suicide by cop or somebody to kill them, um, it ends up where the, where the person is like, Hey, the cop or the, the person's like, I don't want to shoot you. I don't want to shoot you. And they give the person they, they keep, continuing to stop um, using deadly force when it would be appropriate and should be used. And then they end up getting stabbed or hurt or killed in the, in the process. So um, I I'm definitely not against what this guy did. I'm not saying he did anything wrong and he should have shot him. Um, I'm just, uh, there's a different, there's a couple different ways you can look at it. And, and sometimes you can't always um, judge the outcome and say, the outcome was good, so the decision was good, or the outcome was bad, so the decision was bad. Um, but kudos to this guy. He made the decision. The ultimate hard thing to do was to say, I'm going to get an intervene. I'm going to stop this guy from leaving. Um, he has still the means to do it. He was still in the area. There were other people in the area. And he, you know, it wasn't like he was shooting at a car driving away. The guy had the means to do it. He just killed somebody. He witnessed him kill him, um, kill the woman. And so he, he took the moral you know, choice of saying, I'm going to intervene. And, uh, and I think I, I give him, I give him high high props for uh, having the restraint to not pull the trigger when many many times he would have been legally justified to do so so um, just you know um, it's, it's an awesome case just to look at from a different a, a bunch of different angles and a bunch of different reasons yep I agree with you man so we talked a little bit ago a story about a guy that, you know that that sort of he, he used force against the vehicle and the escaping individual. Uh, and, and in this case, it's kind of similarly related in that he sees the man with a knife. And it says that he ran after him. That So he actually pursued, and we don't know the context fully as far as, you know, was this 20 feet, right? Because I could see him saying the same thing. Or was this like, he's halfway down the block, mm-hmm. you know, right? So we don't know exactly, but but it does say that he went after him. So was this something that he needed to do? No, he didn't necessarily need to go after that man, uh, especially as it related to his own personal safety, right? This man could have chosen to not involve himself, and uh, then he really increases his own personal risk like zero. Um, 
but instead he went after him. Now, we have to be careful with regards to the law in 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 state in depending on your state. Okay, now in many states, if particularly, this is usually how the statutes are worded, uh, where where it comes to a citizen's arrest. All right, now many people will talk about a citizen's arrest. Citizens' arrests are really bad idea in most contexts. There's people. There's great YouTube videos, and some of them are quite comical. Uh, people that see someone commit a crime or what they think is a crime. And sometimes they're very petty crimes and they, I'm arresting you, you know, citizens arrest. And that's a really bad idea, especially when that individual you're trying to arrest might be violent and, or might have a weapon on them. Right. Uh, but, and also you, you put yourself at great risk by effect, trying to affect a citizen's arrest and not actually being legally justified to do so. Right. Now, in this case, I actually think it's this is very much a just this is a this is actually as good a case as you could make for a citizen's arrest. If you're going to do it, I think this guy is justified to do so. He's he's witnessed in his presence a a felony that's been committed, a murder has basically been committed, and he may also, and some states will have provisions too for this, but usually this is more of a law enforcement thing. But uh, you know, he may be able to also articulate that. I felt this man posed an additional or greater threat to other people in the area. But more importantly, he sees this very violent crime that's just taken place. Uh, he see, he's, he's a witness. He sees the man. He goes after the man. All right. So that's that may be completely, you know, once again, check your local and state laws and all that stuff. But it may be completely justified. Now, it doesn't mean it's what you have to do or should do. In this case, this guy I really feel like was way... Uh, I would say he's almost too hesitant uh, and resistant to the idea of pulling the trigger. To your point, Matthew, that sometimes what happens is we see when, when you have a bad guy, when you have someone that's now suicidal, he's committed a, a heinous act, and now he's turned suicidal. He wants to die by cop uh, or whatever. In this case, die by CCW. He's telling you to kill him, and you're not giving him what he wants. Then he may... Once that is, no, once he realizes, once it dawns on him, if he's really serious about wanting you to kill him, if you are not giving him what he wants, and he realizes that, then he may then look for a way to do, you know, to, to accomplish that. So he may to try to force your hand. Mm-hmm. So you see the video. You'll see there's lots of people. In fact, there's people like walking by. They're just like, okay, we're just minding our own business. Uh, we're just gonna walk this way. They're walking within like ten feet of this dude. You know, couples just strolling along. Like they're looking over their shoulder, obviously. Like, uh, but they're they should totally just be like running away <laughs> from the situation, and they're not. And that's the thing. Like people don't act with you know common sense in in these situations sometimes. So uh, that guy could have he had plenty of opportunities to to suddenly you know reach out to grab uh, a bystander and try to you know stab somebody else or put somebody else yeah, at I, risk. I mean ima- imagine he's giving this guy c- command after command and the guy grabs a kid and holds a knife against a kid's throat. Now the situation has just become yeah extremely more difficult to, to deal with. Right. And so I'm not like to your point, man, I'm not saying that he did anything wrong ethically or morally or, or legally tactically could it have gone different way? Maybe, but you know, I wasn't there. I can't say what was going through this guy's mind, but 
to know that that's a potential possibility when you continue to uh, give the person who's obviously in this heightened state and has already committed such a violent crime, it, it's, it oftentimes leads to something very bad. Yep. Yep. I agree. I think, you know, when you and I were talking about this before we went live to the show, uh, I think our consensus is, is pretty much the dude was a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger. And I think he should have just dropped the bad guy from the, very moment that he pretty much saw him, you know, now I realized that the situation ended up working out to where he didn't have to pull the trigger. Nobody had, nobody else had to get killed. So like we had, yeah, we had to realize that and go, Hey, that was good. Okay. I mean, yes, we were able to bring resolution without additional loss of life. And that is a good thing morally, but at the same time, like it could have gone sideways so quickly for just about anybody involved in the situation and his hesitancy might have contributed to something bad happening to somebody else and or himself. All right. So, but an honorable thing he did and we're glad he did what he did. So kudos to him. And that wraps us up for uh, this week's stories of the Concealed Carry Podcast News Edition. Uh, so we want to remind you of this coming Monday evening, November the 12th at 6 p.m. Mountain Time of this Highly defensible property. It's really wordy. Just think of it as a home defense Q&A. Uh, well, actually, this one's not on Facebook Live. That's the podcast later this week. So this requires registration. So you got to get pre-registered so you can secure a spot. We, we're actually limited to spots. Uh, we, we pay for this uh, this conferencing you know, software, and we only have so many spots that will allow. So once we hit a full... You know, once we hit the full number of registrations, then, then you know, so you better go just sign up now. ConcealedCarry.com forward slash HD legal webinar to get pre-registered for next Monday evening's home defense Q&A with Andrew Brinka of Law Self-Defense and myself and Jacob will be there as well. And then a reminder too that uh, this Friday at 2 p.m. Mountain Time, Jacob and I will be doing a special home defense podcast episode Q&A as well. Send us questions via podcast at concealedcarry.com and or make sure you're there. Now, there's no registration required for this. Uh, you know, it's just a Facebook live podcast episode uh, similar to this. We're just doing it on a little bit different time and we're giving you a very specific heads up as to when that's going live and, and what to do ahead of time. So send us questions, podcast at concealedcarry.com and or be there and, and we'll try to take questions as well that come in through the Facebook comments. So with that, we're going to wrap up, let you all go. Matthew, thanks for doing this. Uh, another great episode with me. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, take care folks. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.